Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, the Wednesday edition. Bobby Carpenter, college football analyst, Sirius XM. He joins us in 20 minutes. Looking forward to discussing... As of today, his college football playoff, the four teams, and in order which way he would go. I'm curious to find out where Bobby would go based on the other Ohio State Buckeye, Eddie George. So we'll compare notes there. And he wants to talk about Aggies football and what's going on in College Station. Gentlemen, good afternoon. It's been a great year for college football. Fun year, a lot of offense, especially the top. Fun year for my Tennessee Vols. Really want Tennessee to take care of business against Kentucky because everything feels like a first in a long time for this program. And I truly believe, and we'll talk to Bobby Carpenter about it, if they beat Kentucky even by a point, they will be the number one team in the college football playoff rankings come next week. And Georgia will be number two. And even if they're not, it will be Georgia one, Tennessee two. I know Bobby may tell us that Ohio State's going to be one or Don't two. Know. I have no clue. But I think based on what teams have done and who they've beaten – I have a hard time believing it won't be Tennessee at number one when that initial ranking comes out if they get past Kentucky Saturday night. I believe that you're concerned. <clears throat> I believe that Tennessee people are concerned. But I, I think if you uh, got on the couch and we unraveled it, you're not really concerned. They, they're not going to lose this game. Kentucky's not that good. You're very good. It, it's faux concern. It's, it it's the necessary concern Paul, it of is, a week of going is, against the top 25 it opponent. It is fan-based PTSD, but it's not just PTSD. It's FOMO. And here's what I mean by the FOMO. Tennessee fans don't want to miss out on the fun that will be a week-long buildup mm. right. of one versus two for the SEC in Athens, Georgia. You're not going to miss out. And I think out. that's part of it. Boys, I'm I thinking agree of, with you. I'm thinking of getting some new makeup because I've put on my makeup and look look at the shine still here in this area. See this area? It's just here? the light. I really yeah, don't think. Yeah, but the think... light creates shine and the makeup previously the makeup is losing its power. It's the makeup's problem? Yeah, the, well <laughs> look, I've got It's a... my head's problem, but the makeup previously took the shine <laughs> off and the makeup is not taking It's like when my contacts get weak. My contacts sometimes okay. get weaker. My makeup is losing its power. I don't wear makeup <laughs> in here and I have a shiny forehead every day, but I also look at it and think is a shiny forehead really that distracting to the audience? Oh, my God. The audience is, they're blinded right now. I mean, we need to... <laughs> We've got people going blind. Poll question. Do shiny <laughs> foreheads matter, Davey? That, that needs to be our Outkick 360 poll question. Forehead slash heads. Because forehead, head... I, I just don't... I don't watch a television show and think, man, and maybe it's because everyone puts makeup on it and I don't see it, so it's not distracting, mm. but I've never watched a show and said, I don't like that show because the host forehead slash head is too shiny. I was thinking it this morning when I was on with Dockage. Never said I that. I said, that guy needs to, to uh, de-shine that dome. Well, we can, we'll can. we have it settled with the audience. Some people, uh, I got good feedback on the Dockage appearance. They said, is that Kuharski interviewing Kuharski? 
Nice. I said, no, the guy on the right's much more handsome. The, uh, the bald is beautiful take. All bald is beautiful. Yeah. Don't fear Kentucky. Uh, you with hey, me on this, Hutton? Yes. Coming up in, in hour three, one of the topics uh, we're going to bring up is it, there's a narrative about this game that does not fit even though the perception is it's more even in this one area. I like that. Okay, we've got that coming up. Also, Mattress Mac is on the show today. Uh, a little under an hour from now. He'll join us at the start of hour number two. We've got to unwind how Mattress he Mac, bet. gallerysports.com, and the... 75 million that's on the line for Mattress Mac if the Astros win the World Series. That's coming up uh, in an hour number two. Also, uh, Mike Wall will be on the show, 11-year NFL guard, former Green Bay Packer. We'll talk offensive line and some of the bigger storylines. Host of the On My Block pod. We'll discuss one of the things. So offense is down across the league. I think offensive line play is partly to blame. I, I, I think agree we, with you we have a lot of average to below average offensive line play in the vast majority of teams right now. And that is leading to 2.3 seconds worth of time for some of the best quarterbacks in the league. I think it's part, I mentioned this last week, I think part of it is the, the college kind of offensive lineman finally catching up to the NFL. I know you've said, hey, well, that's been going on for a while. But I think more of the veterans who played a different style uh, longer are now retiring or getting squeezed out of the league. And there's a bigger body of guys who just haven't played NFL-style football long enough or don't have the skill set for it. I'm interested to ask Mike uh, about that and if he agrees with that as, as part of it. So ESPN, the, we've got the, the wire gate. We've got uh, the camera uh, the the eye in the sky, sky cam on the Mac Jones interception. It appears as though it, I mean it's it's a very odd look for a you know based on the vision here it looks like Mac Jones's pass tickles the wire it touch clips uh, grazes the wire there the camera wire some oscillation of the wire that ESPN, i keep seeing every time i watch this video espn released a statement about this saying that in fact this is an optical illusion and it the the wire is like 10 to 15 feet higher than the football now this happened in nashville just tying in a story remember when they had the flyover with fort campbell and people thought yes. that they were the, the really low. The sky cam wires were <laughs> nearly about to clip the copters, but the, the the choppers. I mean, but they were they were it was much lower, and it wasn't even horizontal to the field. It was it was uh, perpendicular, so right. it wasn't close. But optically, we were it inverted. Looked, it looked like the, the 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 helicopter was going to clip the the, the wire. I I think this is what we're seeing. But Can man, you run that again? So here's video keep one. This on a loop. And I'm going to read ESPN's statement as if you're watching, you'll see what we're talking about. But yes. the exact statement from ESPN, which I do not buy, says, quote, This pass from Mac Jones did not hit ESPN Skycam wiring. The video creates a false keep impression, running. but in reality, the Skycam wire was more than 15 feet above the ball, and our Skycam system followed all NFL protocols. Now, in one breath, they are so certain about this with this statement that I feel like they're so confident that they know that's the case. I'm watching that video guys over and over and over again. I this wish is like I was the, watching it over and over and over again. This is like the color now. of the dress debate, right? 
Yes. This is like, is it, it, it tan? Is, is it... I mean, I, well, but, I'm seeing that thing hit the wire. I could even see, and maybe I'm talking my brain into believing that, I'm seeing the ball change direction oh so slightly, but what I see more than anything is the wire seems to, as see, Paul I, said, tickle. I don't a see the bit. wire move enough for if a football grazed it, but I do see the football change direction, which that's where it, I'm, I, it screws with my head on that. Um, but they're saying it had nothing to do with with that pass. And it's supposed to be a certain amount above, but I mean, we've seen other things. Like, it, it, it would not have been an interception, correct? It would have been it, dead ball. See, uh, it, it would have been, they would have replayed the down. Replayed the, down. the rule book is that if it hits something, no interception, you replay the down. No different than a there. punt. It's hitting, a dead ball. Hitting, yeah. hitting the Jumbotron in Dallas. It's a, it's a dead ball. And does Mac Jones get benched if that. Well, and then people are happens. saying it may not have mattered. And I'm watching, I'm thinking. If it hit the wire the way I think it did, it absolutely mattered. Just two- because the ball would have been perfect, possibly, because it was just a bit short, yeah. and the guy jumps up and gets it in front of the route. Uh, I don't know how anyone could argue it wouldn't matter Has if it didn't Bill hit the Belichick wire. Has Bill Belichick been asked about this yet? Well, he Not- was asked about the starting quarterback, and he wouldn't say Yeah, I, I haven't seen other. him asked no, about this. I wonder this. if he'll, he'll say something about this when asked about it, or if he'll d- be dismissive of it. It's one. It's a weird story because I am clearly seeing that ball hit a wire, and then ESPN is very clearly stating that is 15 feet away. That's a big discrepancy. This is an and things can look different. I understand that it can look based on the impression of the angle you're looking at something where something's closer than it is. But I'm watching that over and over. Maybe it didn't. It looks like it hit the wire. I do to me. tend to believe them. I think the whole thing's set up to make it impossible for this scenario to happen um because they know what just how big a deal it would be if if a ball hit a wire at a crucial point in a game and they want to avoid this very conversation it seems like it's something that with nfl protocols if it's being followed the way espn claims you set that wire up way in advance of pregame and there's no chance it drifts down towards the field right taught it's not something that's being manipulated by one person and dropping down. It's just way above the field, and they move it, you know, and it's uh, always horizontally the over the field, it, not uh, vertically. Uh, it's always behind the ball, too, the camera. Yes. Um, which is the, the only chance the wires have of being ball height or lower is behind the, behind so the line of scrimmage. It's a fascinating story for this reason for me, just big picture here. This could become one of the great – sports conspiracy theory things for years to come. <laughs> Did it or didn't it? Because the Patriots went from Tom Brady to Mac Jones in the first round. Mac Jones had a good majority of his first season where he was a good player, fell off late, but still looked like, oh man, the Patriots may have gotten it right again from Tom Brady to Mac Jones. Mac Jones is benched after this interception. And then if Bailey Zappi takes over and we don't hear much from Mac Jones the rest of his career... This is something 10 years from now we'll talk about and say, did Mac Jones lose his career in part because an ESPN Skycam wire hit the ball and caused an interception in a Monday night football game? And we'll go back and play that little clip we showed you over and over, and everyone will try to judge whether or not that conspiracy is true. That myth. It's kind of it's 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 got the making of sports mythology yes, in the future. It does. It'll be interesting. I wonder if there's some kind of different NFL films could conceivably have a better angle because they focus on the ball. Well, Mac Jones is going to go back to 
you know, Alabama national championship reunion gatherings. And the first thing that's going to be asked was, did the ball hit that wire? You know, 15, 20 years from now, with his careers over, that's going to be a question he could be getting. It may not mean a hill of beans. He may come back, get healthier, and go on to a great career. And this is something we're not talking about for a long time. But if this turns to Bailey Zappi is the next franchise quarterback of the Patriots or a future draft pick, this is a story that is not going away. Also, the, the degree to which, and I think the Patriots, they, they have a smaller staff, but they have analysts. There are enough people watching that ball in the air live that if they felt like it hit a wire and moved, they would have, Belichick would have had the officials over on the sideline. He would have been pointing. He would have been animated about it. I'm not saying it, you know, that means it didn't hit the wire or there isn't discussion after, but I could totally see that if they, you know, they would have been on it in the moment if, it, it, if they it seems thought that would be it the impacted case, the play. But it was a bad weather night, some wind, some rain. I could also see if it barely scraped it they just that you would see. Other I would think the person who would notice is the guy who threw the ball. Yeah. Mac Jones would be the one saying, no. Or the receiver. Something changed with the ball. Or the receiver, right, looking at it, saying something redirected slightly, and it was odd when that ball was coming my way. But I, the, they you, didn't say anything, so... I guess I'm left to maybe believe what ESPN is saying, but it looks like it hit Because it you there. rarely miss, as you're, as you're saying, quarterback, receiver, rarely miss a tiny tip, you know, oh, when yeah. a defensive lineman gets a fingernail on the ball and we don't know anything's up, they're, they're immediately signaling. Well, I think the, the wire would wobble a lot more than it did. If that, it would have if, to if be pass, such a slight if it, yeah, touch. I, again, yeah. like it, it, I think it would be much more obvious if you're hitting the, the wire, but maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe this is you know this is in the works. Maybe it's decades from it's, now. It's such a, a minute touching, much like the fingertip of the Alabama player who may have blocked yeah. the kick by Tennessee, just to redirect it, and make it look like a knuckleball. That it's that slight of a touch that just changes it oh so slightly. Maybe. So Russell Wilson is playing in Week Eight. They are playing against Jacksonville. That game's in London. What a matchup! Back yeah. to bad games for London. They are, they get, they do get some bad games. They get Jacksonville every year, yeah. you know. But they sell it out. They sell is, is it out. Is that an advantage for Jacksonville in these games? Getting well, a chance to go there every year. With, with going I feel like there. it should be a big advantage. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an annual record, home though. game for them. Well, they, they're well, they're not team. a good, they're not a good team. Yeah. But I, I'm saying when you get, yeah, you know, the repetitive a team that's nature like them, of it, yeah, like Denver, right? Is that an advantage because well, you get to go every year? Green Bay hasn't won since they played in London. Right, like they came back and didn't take the bye week. They lost to the Jets after losing to and the then Giants. the Commanders lost to the Commanders. Now, pitiful. Um, Ryan Tannehill may play this week. Ryan Tannehill walked out to the podium uh, to be interviewed by those of us in the Titans media. Uh, no boot, no limp. Uh, you know, all of us uh, filming him rather uh, from from the moment he walked out the door and uh, looked fine. Acknowledged it's an ankle sprain. Declined to offer whether it was high, uh, high ankle sprain. Uh, Mike Vrabel said before that, you know, he'll be categorized as, as limited today for sure. Uh, but Tannehill went on to say it's going to be a walkthrough practice. So, like, Chris Connolly is, is uh, the Titans receiver of the week um, and said, you know, Tannehill said he's not going to really miss much today in terms of building a connection with Chris Connolly because it's a walkthrough. So, you know, they'll get done what they would get done at a walkthrough. So we'll learn more tomorrow. But, you know, to your point from before the show, could have been a lot worse 
what we it saw looked a lot worse, today, yeah. But so. he, he finished the game, but post game in the boot, and it just didn't look like a, a guy who was going to play immediately. But he's uh, Vrabel said he was going to be limited, you know, and maybe that's limited just simply because of the walkthrough, but maybe not. Uh, either way, I think it's at a high ankle sprain that he wouldn't play. We'll learn more. Based on, I mean, Mac Jones is coming back limited. from a high ankle sprain. Yeah, and we'll learn- he played last week Monday for the first time since September twenty fifth. If only there was a good piece of video on this that that uh, lent itself. I mean, CBS did a horrific job on this game. I know they don't have a lot of cameras because it's a, despite the fact that it was, it was the, the only game yes. between the two two winning teams all weekend that got covered like a JV game, but uh, we don't really see it. I don't know. I haven't looked at the all 22. Maybe there's a better angle on that, and I should look at that. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter joins us. We talk college football headlines, Texas A&M, and what's going on in College Station with Jimbo Fisher and the offense. We will also get his take on, as of today, how he would rank the college football playoff because we'll get the official college football playoff rankings for the first time this coming Tuesday. Bobby Carpenter's next on OutKick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. From 6th and Peabody, Outkick 360 rolls on for Music City and across the Outkick network and on this great radio station as well as Outkick.com and wherever you download your audio on podcasts. Bobby Carpenter joins us each week at this time. You can follow him on Twitter at BCarp3. You can catch him on SiriusXM Channel 84 with Jacob Hester as well. Bobby, hope you're doing well. Oh, I'm doing fantastic, guys. You know, it's... uh. Heck, I mean, it's almost Halloween weekend. Many of these teams are going to have four games left after this week. And where does the season go each and every year? And now we await the first reveal for the college football playoff rankings. We'll get that on Tuesday. Where would, how do you, how would you rank the college football playoff one through four, the four teams and in order right now, as of today, before we get the results from Saturday? I mean, first of all, how great is this that we get our first uh, college football playoff rankings on the same day as election day. So there's going to be so many opportunities to get in fights with your neighbors and <laughs> loved ones. Yeah. I mean, and the trade no chance for the NFL agree on. Yeah. There's no chance you'll agree on everything politically and on who you think the four best teams are. <laughs> so right. there's going to be a lot of great opportunities there to really mix it up and, and to find, find the worst parts of humanity as we <laughs> argue about all kinds of things, but hey, um, and there's, there's a potential for a great ranking rating matchup between Georgia and Tennessee based on how this flows too. I'm, uh, and I'll tell you where I'm headed with this based on another Buckeye that I spoke with in a moment, but how, how would you rank them right now? Okay. So I'll start with four. Uh, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw Michigan right now at four. I'd have Clemson sitting at five. I'd have Tennessee at three and I would probably put Ohio State slightly over Georgia at this point, just based upon what I've seen as far as their offense being able to score the football and their defense is much, much improved. A lot of that's going to be obviously cleared up as they play Michigan and you know, seeing that they can stop the run against them and a really talented 
offensive squad on the ground. So that's where I would go with it right now. But I mean, those things are ever changing as we see stuff happen week in and week out. How do you weigh this, Bobby, when you're looking at these ratings? Because I'm with you. I think Ohio State's the best team in the country right now. And they were preseason right there with Georgia. But Tennessee's done more in terms of wins, right? Ranked opponents, beating Alabama. So how do you weigh the how teams have looked versus what they've done and who they've beaten on the field when trying to come up with that ranking? Yeah, it's, and that's where it's really difficult. I mean, you can make an argument based upon how Tennessee has looked, especially more recently. And that's, that's the one thing we kind of have to remember here and how much we wait you know, the last three to four weeks. Um, you know, Tennessee looks really good right now. I'm not saying anything, but you know, they struggled against Pitt and they, they won a close one. And we thought that Pitt team was pretty good. And I don't think that they're as bad as maybe their record is right now. They're, they're pretty solid, but they've gotten a lot better since the beginning of the season. They're playing really good football. I think Georgia started out early. They've had some hot and then, you know, they've had some ebbs and flows. It's really, really tough to be good on a week in and week out basis. And so that's what you measure. Like, Hey, what's your resume look like? And how did you perform against you know these teams? And, you know, you try to balance that, I guess, among, you know, the, all the different teams that are at the top. And I guess for me, I'm, I'm relying a lot basically on just on the eye test at this point. I mean, Tennessee has had one of the tougher schedules in college football. You know, they probably have, you know, you could arguably the best win in college football with how they were able to beat Bama and what they were ultimately able to do. Um, I still think there's some issues, some flaws that they have on defense. Offensively, they're fantastic. And they honestly remind me, you know, a lot of Ohio State last year of what they were able to do. We'll see if that defense, you know, for Ohio State can continue to hold up and we'll see if the defense for Tennessee can continue to get better and continue to improve. They got timely stops ultimately when they needed to um, against Bama, but that's that's really what we're trying to figure out right now As I, I watch these teams play each week. I'm like, well, how would they do against this team and, and how would they do against that team and trying to figure out these hypotheticals until we finally get to the CFP and watch them get a chance to play each other. The way you just described Tennessee as Ohio State of last year is exactly what Eddie George told me on Monday during his coaches show. It was Eddie and, and Keith Bullock, and I brought this up just like, hey, I think Ohio State's the best team in the country, and I, I mentioned Georgia. I put Tennessee in the mix. Clemson, TCU, we went through it. And whenever I tossed it to them, Eddie chimed in and says, right now, I would have Tennessee number one because they've got Kentucky coming up, then Georgia, and he was doing it based on the body of work. Now, of course, Ohio State has Penn State this week. They still have Michigan coming up as well. But just comparing the schedule, he would rank Tennessee ahead. I was surprised by this. Based on the schedule and the overall offense and how consistent that group is. He also added they're one of maybe four or five offenses that you know are going to show up every week, and Tennessee is more high-powered than most. And he took them number one. That's why I, I was curious where you would have Ohio State. I'm with you. I would still – my vote would be for Ohio State. But if Tennessee takes care of business against Kentucky and Georgia wins against Florida – do you think the committee puts them one and two, knowing that one of the two is going to lose the following week after the first rankings are announced? I could see that happening, especially if those wins, if Tennessee's able to beat Kentucky convincingly, and because well, Kentucky's back now, I mean they've got Rodriguez is settled in there, Levis is finally healthy. You know they're going to good ha- have a good defense with what Mark Stoops does. So if they win that, they're game, a top twenty team. I mean, they're they're nineteenth. Yeah. coming to Neyland State. Oh, yeah. so that'd I mean, be another top twenty win for Tennessee. 
And then Kentucky was hovering right around the top 10 until they lost to Ole Miss. I mean, they, they, uh, they've played some really good football this year. And unfortunately, if they wouldn't have lost to South Carolina, they'd probably still be ranked like 12th or 13th. They're, they're a very good team. So believe me, if Tennessee wins that thing by, you know, 7, 10, 14 points, I mean, they probably should be ranked second. Maybe they should even jump Georgia, depending on how Georgia looks in that game. Um, just simply because they have an offense that can score on seemingly anybody. And this will be a big test because we know that that Kentucky defense is good. And I think that Kentucky's offense might be a little more versatile than Bama's when everyone's fully healthy and they have their quarterbacks sitting in the pocket. It's going to be interesting Saturday night. It's very interesting what's going on at Texas A&M, Bobby. And (laughs) I I, I want to ask this to you because you've been around a lot of coaches and coaching personalities. I think the best coaches have the, the balance of stubborn in what they want to do and how they want to run a program, but also open-minded and able to look in the mirror and change things when needed and says, hey, maybe I'm part of the problem. Let's mix it up. Let's change it. Does Jimbo Fisher have that quality? Because he clearly needs to change something about what he's doing, especially on offense right now. You know, guys, and here's the ultimate irony with this is, you know, Jimbo Fisher got that job at Florida State in a similar situation because of Bobby Bowden's reluctance to change. And, you know, he had some of his sons in there calling stuff and getting involved. And it just didn't seem like it was going worse. They bring in Jimbo, the coach, and waiting. And, you know, you fast forward a little over a decade, and it seems like that's kind of where we are. You look at, you know, some of these really talented coaches. You know, Nick Saban, defensive guy. Hey, I'm going to line up. We're going to play defense. We're going to run the ball 45 times a game, game manager, or quarterback, and realizing that the game is changing. So you know what? We're going to have to get you know an elite quarterback. We're going to have to get elite wide receivers. We're going to throw it. That doesn't mean that we're going to completely neglect our defense, but we're going to just be better at what everybody else has been doing and how they've been advancing. You look at Chip Kelly, what he was doing at Oregon, he goes to Philadelphia. Now he comes back. It's a much different offense than he ran at Oregon, and he's doing a heck of a job ultimately with that. You know, I've looked at some of the stuff Ryan Day has done. Last year, they had some struggles on defense. Cleaned house, more or less, on the defensive staff. And, and everyone looks at Riley. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. But he has a standard of what he expects his staff to do. He's going to give them autonomy. Ultimately, have to go win. If you don't get it done, we'll make some changes. We'll change up our scheme. You know, and be able to do some things differently. So when you start looking at some of these coaches, you know, that have had a lot of success, their ability to innovate and continually look at themselves and evaluate. Where are we? And then where is the rest of our competition around us? And maybe we've done this so well for a long time, but it might be time to kind of tweak it. We don't maybe have to completely change who we are, but there are some things that we could kind of work in. And it doesn't seem like Jimbo's doing any of that, at least from the outside. And, you know, we joke, everyone jokes around about Texas, you know, A&M being eight and four. I mean, I think they would love to be able to run the table and finish eight and four at this point. And even more so than that, guys, when you start talking culturally, about some of the stuff that's going on in the program and some of the you know, allegations of guys getting suspended and smoking weed before the game. Like I've been around a lot of dudes. I've been around dudes that drank the night before the game, guys that would smoke the night before the game. Never anybody like day of game getting involved in any type of mind-altering substance. And so that just leads me to believe if I'm a guy who committed there, who's a five-star dude, who's pretty good, maybe I'm playing a lot, maybe they're not playing me at all, and I'm taking a look at myself saying, is this a place that I want to be next year? And it, it, unless they get this thing corrected, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a mass exodus after the season because those guys are used to winning and they want to compete. And this is the nonsense that they're having to deal with right now. 
And Bobby, I know you'll talk about this with your boy Jacob Hester, but look right there in the SEC West in his division. We can all make jokes about Brian Kelly dancing and having a fake Southern accent, but after Brian Kelly got whipped by Tennessee, he stood at the podium and said, we got to look in the mirror and help these guys out. Maybe we should go to seven-man protections quicker. There's things we can do defensively to help our guys out. What have they done since then? They blew out Florida on the road, and they blew out a top-10 Ole Miss team at home. That's a great coach who's done it well at a number of places, making in-season adjustments and winning. That's something we're not seeing with Jimbo. And we talk about those changes he's made, like takes a look in the mirror. I knew, and I told Jacob this, and I think everybody was worried when they lost to Florida State. I go, I've been around BK long enough. My brother played for him, coached for him. Those things aren't going to happen again. He's a good football coach. He might, the personality and the recruiting and some of that stuff, whatever, but they, he can coach football. And if they wouldn't have lost that game, we'd probably be talking about you know, them potentially being you know, a top 15 team ultimately at this point. And listen, guys, a and or uh, Ole Miss is a physical squad. And you watch the second half of that game. I mean, they were putting it on them. They wanted nothing to do with that. And the best part of all of this is now you have Ole Miss who's licking their wounds, you know, limping in there to A&M. Ole Miss averages coming in the last week about 245 yards on the ground, and A&M's given about a given up about a buck eighty. And Hester goes, at least they're playing at home. I go, buddy, that's the last place you want to be if you start getting this thing sideways because they're the boo birds are going to come out and they will turn on you. And I guarantee you this: Lane Kiffin doesn't miss a trick, and he's been complaining about the NIL and the money. He is going to be on fire in the post game if they go take it to A&M. I want the most competitive possible college football playoff. So I don't want TCU or Clemson in there. What are the odds either one of them or both of them suffer a loss along the way here? Well, I think the thing with TCU, they've played a lot of the meat of their schedule already, and so is Clemson for that matter. Uh, the one thing about TCU with being the Big 12, they have that round-robin format. You play everybody, and then ultimately you just play the next best team in your conference. So I think they've got it. There's going to be a decent chance that they might potentially get knocked off again because you're going to have to rematch somebody who you probably had a pretty tough game with. Um, you know, as far as Clemson, I'm looking around the ACC. I mean, there, there's a lot of, I think, good teams in the ACC, and I think Clemson's like the best of those good teams, pretty good. Their defensive front is really good, but offensively, you know, they, they've got some issues. I, I don't honestly think, like, believe me, if I'm an Ohio State fan, I don't care how you get in, but if you can get matched up with Clemson in that first round, if they slide in there, I think that's what everybody ultimately wants because no one's going to want to play, you know, either Georgia, you know, whether it's Bama, Tennessee, however that kind of shakes out. No one's going to want that matchup, but there's probably except America who wants a competitive State, game. I know, and that's I'm with you. hundred percent I'm with you. And so I don't know, depending on if Michigan, Ohio State, you know, win out and it's a close game at the end and you go two and two. I don't know if you can go three and one for the SEC, depending on how that ultimately looks. Um, but I, I I agree with you right now, gentlemen, that I believe Clemson is probably the best of the rest of the pack, but I think that there's some serious deficiencies they have that would be exposed against a team with a lot of talent. Bobby, have Penn State fans just resigned themselves to being the third program in the Big Ten East behind Ohio State and Michigan and, and just not concerned with catching them because they're, they're nowhere close right now. We saw what happened against Michigan. They are a 15-and-a-half point home underdog this weekend 
against Ohio State. Crazy things can happen in Happy Valley, but I don't see that one happening. Where do you think this program is right now in the Big Ten under James Franklin? Well, the one thing, you need a great quarterback to be successful, and Sean Clifford's a good quarterback, and he's a really good game manager, and you know he had a great scramble against Michigan. He played pretty well. You know, the, their offense, the biggest problem, guys, they have good skill position players. Their offensive line has never been really that great. I mean, you go start looking through the NFL ranks, you're not going to find a whole lot of Penn State offensive linemen in the NFL. And you go talk to any coach, I'll take average skill players and a great offensive line every single day of the week because you're going to be able to get push and you can get protection. And average guys can get open and they can find nice holes. And they haven't been very good there. Now, I think this year they probably are resigned because it's been a rough two seasons for James Franklin that says, hey, we're going to play Sean Clifford. He's the best to win now. They have a guy in Drew Aller who's really good. He's from Cleveland, Ohio. You know, given the recruiting situation with my man, the mullet man out of Texas, he ends up committing. So they lose him. He goes to Penn State instead of Ohio State. But he reminds me a lot of Josh Allen. They played Clifford this year because I think they know with him they can get to nine or ten wins. But they couldn't beat Ohio State, and they can't beat Michigan. But I think Drew Aller coming up is a guy that can do that, but they have to get the offensive line fixed. You look at all of these teams. You've got to protect your quarterback, and you have to be able to get pushed up front. And the good teams do that. Penn State has not been able to really do that. Even when they had Saquon Barkley, you look at some of the running backs they've had. They've done a great job with the running backs. They just haven't had the front. And so I think a little bit they're resigned to that at this point because, guys, they can't buy them out. It's the same thing with Texas A&M. I mean, you would say you were married to them, except for the fact that, I mean, you're more like Siamese twins at this point. You can't get separated. There's nowhere to go. Bobby Carpenter has been our guest. Always appreciate it, man. Um, and, and have a good football weekend. It's going to be fun. Here we go. Backstretch of the season. Next time you join us next week, we'll have our rankings out for the college football playoff. We'll get a glimpse of what the committee's thinking, and we'll see where we're headed from there. Thanks. Yes, sir. You guys enjoy it. There's Bobby Thanks, Carver, Sirius XM, Channel 84, Bobby and Jacob Hester. You can catch him talking all things college football and much more. Um, the dreaded vote of confidence was given to Dan Campbell from Lions ownership. Sheila Hamp talked with reporters for four minutes today. Exactly. Four I, minutes. I like the timing. <laughs> uh, voice Take support four for Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes asked directly if either uh, with their job, uh, if their job's in jeopardy, no matter what happens this season. It's a very open-ended question. Quote, I believe in the leadership. Look, I think Dan Campbell's got through next year, but you guys know I, I've not been a Dan Campbell guy since he was hired. I, I mean, I understand he brings that kind of uh, animalistic, shall we say, energy, which is a nice shot in the arm for Detroit. I just don't know if he's got the, the I don't want to call him dumb. I don't think he's dumb. No. But I don't know that he's got the, like, He's CEO qualities. I don't know that he's got the CEO qualities to me. Well, so I think Dan Campbell can work because players are going to love him. Yes. And they love that mentality, but he's got to hire better his coordinators. defensive coordinator is bad. And it's a buddy of his, you know, played with him and Aaron Glenn. Um, he needs to hire better coordinators. That, that's where, Paul, I'm with you. I think he gets another year, but he's going to have to fire his buddies and hire better coordinators and show progress next year in order to keep the job. I think you talked about this, Chad, and it was a really good point. Tell me if I'm giving the wrong person credit. Um, it's a kind of dangerous thing in Detroit where you have a little bit of early success and then move on to what you really are. It's almost abusing the fan base. 
that, you know, has been teased a couple times too many and are used to being horrific. You give them that little bit of meat early. Hey, look at us. We score 40 points a game. But all right, let's go. And then you show your true stripes, two field goals in two games. And everybody's like, oh, hell, we're the same thing we've always been. And it's not even that. To, and what I was talking about with it was not just fans, but the players. You the have early some buy-in. progress, right? You have the early buy-in. It gets a little better as the year goes. You lose a lot of close games. But you have guys believing all offseason. And then all of a sudden. Training camp looked good from a belief standpoint. You got some, mo- you some out, hype you, on you, you have hard some knocks. offense, and now you're just bad all around. Offense and defense. And then when that falls off, keeping guys engaged and believing, okay, we're going to turn this around eventually, that's tough. But I think they're, they're losing a lot of these games either way. But they're, they, are, they can point to a couple of big injuries. Um, in the backfield, DeAndre Swift is out. He's on injured reserve. Uh, and he got off to a great start to begin the season. They also have DJ Chark on injured reserve in Detroit. So that they're, they're, right now they've got four receivers on their active roster. Jared Goff is fool's gold if you convince yourself he's your guy, which for a little stretch there, he was big time. But Jared Goff's not yeah. an NFL winning quarterback. Well, he, won, he went to a Super Bowl with Sean McVay in most perfect of circumstances. That's the pinnacle for him in the NFL. He's never going to get close to that again. And look, like it or not, Detroit's got to start where Detroit's always got to start. It's got to go find a quarterback. Right now, they have the number one pick in the draft as of today. And they're ninth in scoring today, despite being shut out by the Patriots and kicking a couple field goals this past week. Listen, there's a lot of intrigue at the top of this draft. Detroit needs a quarterback. Houston needs a quarterback. Carolina needs a quarterback. Is that just... uh, you know, looking to, to Alabama, Ohio State, and somehow Kentucky. A boom, boom, boom to three quarterbacks I'll, I'll off the list. This. After Good. last year when there wasn't a quarterback drafted until when? I'll say this, though, Paul. Uh, I want 22? Uh, 20, I want, yeah, 21 I want 22. picks one and two, and I want Bryce Young or C.J. Yeah, Stroud. Yeah, me too. Because uh, I think the drop-off between those two guys, and, and if Levis, it is Will Levis, Levis is is th- at three – that's, that's a sizable drop-off. Yeah, I wouldn't look at that as a trio. It might wind up being a draft trio, but I think universally everybody's going to be thinking that the third guy is very much a third guy. I think if you love Will Levis, you're basically saying he's Josh Allen. Uh, he possesses all the physical traits you want. He's got a strong arm. We've seen him make great throws. His decision-making at times isn't great, but it can be better. Josh Allen wasn't uh, accurate in college. But he had all the physical tools, and then he became a great NFL quarterback. Um, I think that's the comp to me. He's not as big as Allen, but the comp is this guy 6'2", 235. He's athletic, strong arm. He could become that. He's a rare bird, Josh I just made the sales pitch for Will Levis, but I don't believe in him as an NFL quarterback. But that's what I'd be selling if I was a believer in Will Levis. We know how incredibly rare it is that a guy gets more accurate. When, you know, well, Josh Allen is the you, only right. example you we can come up with. You are what you are in terms of accuracy and in terms of throwing motion when you come out of college. That a guy makes a big improvement in one of those two areas is, is like an a, a animal on the verge of extinction spotting one of those. And Josh Allen, to the Bills' credit, is one of those. But are we going to see two of those within five years? I, I'm not betting on that. And nor should some... NFL front office, the scout and the GM who convinces the owner, hey, I got another one of those in Will Levis. 
let's spend the third pick in the draft on him. Uh, I think uh, Bryce Young has Joe Burrow level feel to his game and moxie. He's not as big that. as Burrow, uh, but I feel like he's got that that it factor. Yeah, I got no qualms about, about the first two. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if they'll be great or not, but I have no qualms about saying, but hey, this is uh, you know our chance to get a young guy who to build around and grow. And we'll take our but chances. But keep this with in mind on two. Bryce Young. We're going to hear this a lot during the draft process. He's listed at six feet tall. Yeah, he's probably not six feet, and that's going to be the knock on him. Going well, there into are this more draft. frequent comparisons of short quarterbacks making it work than there are of guys getting more accurate and more, uh, more. Uh, what was the other characteristic we were talking about? That decision making, more being accurate, better, better decision making. Right now, Houston's got two top five picks because they also own the Cleveland Browns selection at number five wow and, and the eagles have a top sinking. five pick right browns now. could wind up four coming up primary complaint and then mattress mac joins us it's all coming up on outkick 360 you ready showtime on may 3rd summer starts with the fall guy what are you doing later let's drink a spicy margarita make some bad decisions yes Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Former NFL offensive lineman Mike Wall will join us in about 30 minutes. Also, Mattress Mac in 10 minutes on Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Right now, though, it's time for primary complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Run away from your feelings. It's time for primary complaint on Outkick 360. Guys, my primary complaint this week is with Frank Reich because the quote today, we are not waving the white flag. That's not in our DNA. That's not in my DNA. I would never do that in a million years. He's referring to benching Matt Ryan and going with Sam, Sam Ellinger. Uh, that in and of itself might be true because if they wanted to tank, I would just continue to play Matt Ryan. But the reason why they're waving a white flag is because Frank Reich refuses to make the offense go through Jonathan Taylor. He's the issue, not the quarterback. That's my primary complaint. My primary complaint this week is for drive throughs We live in a world now where people can work from home with video conferencing and never go to an office. Something I realized when we were all forced to wear a mask was that I can't understand people oftentimes when they talk and I can't see their mouth move and I can't see what's going on. Do we not have the technology at a drive through to have a video-on-video video conversation with the person taking our order? I think this would clear up a lot of confusion in the order process. I want to see the person taking my order on that screen, the digital screen. They can see me also. We can have a human-to-human -human interaction and improve the drive-through experience for all. This is my primary complaint. My primary complaint is uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Unfortunately, uh, on some days when I'm coming here from Titan's facility and I haven't planned my meals well, uh, my only option is to stop there and grab something. Too often. They, they even maybe know me there a little bit. 
Like grab a muffin, grab a donut, grab a muffin and a donut. <laughs> Today, you know, they've got big racks that fill with donuts. They had seven items. Seven items. I joked with them. I was like, hey, it's a big selection you got there today. And she said, you know, we open at 4 a.m. I said, well, you know, 4 a.m. didn't fit my schedule today, but you're open now. <laughs> you got seven items. I ate two of them. <laughs> <laughs> How were they? Stale? Didn't stop you. Yeah, not fresh. Yeah. That's, that's, they weren't fresh from the oven. It's a sign that uh, it's not going to go very well in the, uh, the taste if it's seven items and they're ready to close. I ate them fast. I, was <laughs> I once encountered the most uh, impressive fast food worker I've ever witnessed at a Dunkin' Donuts close to my house. Uh, it, we, we called him the 14-year-old CEO. The guy was managing a Dunkin' Donuts. He appeared to be 12, but he had to be like a not even driving teenager, just able to work. And the way he dealt with the customers and was handling everything in that store, I would hire that kid in a heartbeat. So smooth. That was, a be- around, that was a better. That was a better Duncan experience than you had today, Paul. I mean, the, the ladies that work there are very pleasant, and she joked with me uh, on my way out. Hope hope we have a lot of stuff for you next time you come. And then I accidentally started to go into somebody else's <laughs> car, and I think it was one of the workers, and she pretended like she was going in to tell on me, and I was like, "Don't call the police." Coming up, Mattress Mac, massive Astros fan, super fan. He can't lose. No matter who wins the World Series, but there's a $75 million payout if the Astros do. Mattress Mac, founder of GalleriesSports.com and Gallery Furniture. He joins us next. We'll dive into the money at stake.